name is David Spell, and this is the podcast where we talk about practical leadership, team building, theology, and how to create winning habits. I'm a retired police officer, a pastor, a New Testament scholar, and a leadership coach. My goal in leading and learning is to help you live your best life. Thanks so much for joining us today, and make sure you stick around until the end of the episode for this week's book recommendation. Now, the question that we're going to be dealing with today is a very big one. And the question is this, is the New Testament complete? Are there missing passages of Scripture? Are there missing books from the New Testament? This podcast will focus on a few of the issues in the New Testament that have created questions among scholars and lay people over the centuries. Now, obviously, this is a very big question, and we're not going to be able to deal with every single situation or every single issue. So if there's something specific you'd like us to address, I'll tell you how you can get in touch with us at the end of the episode, and maybe we could address one of those other issues in a future episode. But since the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, come first in the New Testament, this might be a good place to start. Are there only four Gospels? Why are there only four Gospels? Are there other credible accounts of the life of Jesus? This is a great question. And the fact of the matter is, there are other accounts of the life of Jesus. Now the question then becomes, are they credible? And do they rise to the level that would allow them to fit in the canon of Scripture? The, the one that comes to mind, most people's minds, is the Gospel according to Thomas. This is another manuscript that came to light in the late 1800s. It's dated around 200 A.D. This is much later than the uh, actual New Testament writings. The Gospel of Thomas became well known in the last 35 years or so due to Princeton scholar Elaine Pagels. Her research, her study has, has taken her in the direction of a number of these um, different writings and especially the Gospel of Thomas. Her book, Beyond Belief, The Secret Gospel of Thomas, is a bestseller. And this manuscript, uh, the Gospel of Thomas, is, is dealt with in detail in her book, Beyond Belief. And I'll actually include... Um, a link in the show notes to Beyond Belief and uh, another one of Elaine Pagel's books. And in um, her book, Beyond Belief, Elaine Pagels argues that the Gospel of Thomas should be taken seriously. And she even gives some of the reasons that it was not included in the New, in the New Testament canon. And I'll let you take a look in her book herself and yourself and, 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 and see her reasons. But what I want to do is I want to give a few of the reasons why the Gospel of Thomas is not included in the New Testament. So is the Gospel of Thomas a missing scripture? Should it be included in the New Testament? There are always going to be people like Elaine Pagels who argue that Thomas should be um, acknowledged as scripture. But there are several reasons that the church over the centuries has not accepted this manuscript as scripture. First of all, Thomas is not a gospel. Even though it has gospel in its name, the gospel according to Thomas, it's not a gospel. 
The four Gospels that we have in our New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, provide examples of what the Gospels really are. They are narrative accounts of the life of Jesus. They provide a historical framework of his life. They give some of his teaching. They provide some of Jesus' miracles. And they all four give a very detailed account of Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection. Now, each gospel is a little bit different because it's written to different churches, to different groups of people. Um, Each gospel includes some material that the others don't. But by and large, all four of the New Testament gospels agree um, and give us the same general picture of Jesus' life and ministry as well as his crucifixion and resurrection. The Gospel of Thomas, however, does not follow this pattern at all. It does not tell a story, and it does not give us any type of narrative. Thomas is merely a collection of sayings and teachings that are attributed to Jesus. Some of these are actually in the form of conversations with his disciples. Another reason that Thomas was not included in the New Testament canon is that the authorship is unknown. Now, this fact alone would not exclude it from the New Testament, but its late date clearly um, shows that the Thomas the Apostle was, was not the author. So it's, it, there's a presumption here that uh, somebody who's already passed away wrote this gospel, and it's portrayed that, that, that uh, Thomas wrote it when, in fact, Thomas had been dead for, for many years. So why does this keep Thomas from out of the New Testament? Why is this another reason that would keep it out of the New Testament? All of the, the, the Gospels and all of the New Testament writings um, seem to have some link to apostolic authorship. Um, even though uh, we may not know exactly who wrote it, the, the letter of Hebrews, we don't know who wrote that. Um, there's been debate on that for years. But as far as the teaching, Um, it fits right in with what Paul was teaching at the time, with John, and with the the narrative accounts of the Gospels. So even though the authorship of some New Testament writings is debated, um, some of Paul's letters, uh, 1 and 2 Peter, um, there is some debate over who actually wrote those, there are clear historical paths leading back to an apostolic source or to someone, Luke, for example, who was closely linked with an apostle. Uh, Luke himself was not an apostle. Uh, He was probably a Greek uh, doctor, but he was very closely associated with the apostle Paul, um, the apostle Peter, and others. And so his gospel comes from um, very, very reliable sources. So there's always a link back to an apostolic source. With the gospel of Thomas, we have no idea where it came from. A third reason that Thomas was not included in the New Testament, and this is probably the most important, is the fact uh, of its teaching. Uh, To be fair, much of Thomas does seem to be quoting some of Jesus' more popular sayings. But even Elaine Pagels, however, acknowledges that much of Thomas is Gnostic in its teaching and outlook. 
Now, Gnosticism was a very widespread heresy in the first century. Now, there were different um, veins of Gnosticism. There were different types of Gnosticism. But by and large, Gnosticism would, would be considered heresy. It, it uh, um, was in opposition to the Orthodox teaching of the church. Um, Gnosticism uh, very often was what, in fact, when you read uh, John's gospel and then his letters, um, you, you can easily make a case that John was writing against Gnosticism. Um, just one example, Gnosticism, uh, one vein of Gnosticism did not believe that Jesus actually was a man. Uh, they believed that, that Jesus was a spirit who took on the appearance of a man. But John made it very clear that Jesus was flesh and flesh and bone, God and man. Um, John 1.14 says that the Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. And so, so we could easily say that John was writing against Gnosticism. But uh, much of uh, what, what we see in the Gospel of Thomas has Gnostic roots and Gnostic outlooks in its teaching. Um, in verse 7 of the Gospel of Thomas, Jesus said this. He said, If you bring forth what is within you, what you bring forth will save you. If you do not bring forth what is within you, what you do not bring forth will destroy you. Yeah, that's pretty easy to understand, huh? This verse seems to indicate that people have the ability to save themselves. In other words, the truth is within everyone, and all they have to do is let it out so that they can find salvation. This thought is at odds with traditional Christian doctrine, which teaches that salvation comes from God through Christ and not from within ourselves. One of the most controversial passages from the Gospel of Thomas is the very last one. In this passage, Simon and, and Simon Peter and Jesus are having a conversation. And Simon Peter says to Jesus, he said, Let Mary leave us, for women are not worthy of life. Jesus said, I myself shall lead her in order to make her male, so that she too may become a living spirit resembling you males. For every woman who will make herself male will enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, obviously, this verse is disturbing. I think it's disturbing on two levels. First of all, Simon Peter, the most eminent of all the disciples, the most eminent of all the apostles, and one of the leaders in the early church, says that women are not worthy of life. It's likely that here he is referring to eternal life, but whether Peter is talking about natural life or eternal life, he's not portrayed in a very positive light. The other disturbing element in this, this passage is Jesus' answer. He seems to be saying that the only way that women can enter the kingdom of heaven is by becoming male. What does this mean? Do women have to become male in their outlook? Do they have to get a sex change operation? In the text, Jesus refers to women making themselves male. How do they do that? In some sects or, or, or divisions of Gnosticism, men took vows of celibacy in a church or group to, to keep their spirits pure and undefiled. Some of these Gnostic groups, the men would swear off marriage and swear off sex to 
to focus on the spirit realm so they could keep their their selves pure and undefiled. Women were not always welcome in every Gnostic group. They were considered distracting to the men who were trying to purify their spirits. Obviously, the scripture that we have in our New Testament shows a very high regard for women. So this would be at odds with the Gospel of Thomas. Now, that's the Gospel of Thomas. There are other early writings that have been referred to as Gospels. An excellent resource is Bart Ehrman's book, Lost Scriptures, books that did not make it into the New Testament. This is a fabulous and insightful book. Um, It's a collection of early Christian and Gnostic writings. Um, uh, Dr. Ehrman uh, translated these these documents himself, and they're very readable translations. In most cases, um, a casual reading of these works that, that Dr. Ehrman provides makes it pretty clear why they're not included in the New Testament. In the infancy Gospel of Thomas, uh, now this is no relation to the Gospel of Thomas, this is a totally separate book, but it's the infancy Gospel of Thomas. The writer undertakes to give an account of Jesus' missing childhood years. Now if you're familiar with your New Testament, you know that we really don't have uh, many good accounts of Jesus' childhood. Well, in Matthew and in Luke, we both have uh, birth narratives, they're a little bit different. And then in Luke, he also gives a story or two when Jesus is 12 years old. But other than that, there's there's not much given about Jesus' childhood. So in the infancy gospel of Thomas, the writer is going to fill us in on Jesus' missing childhood years. What's awkward, though, is Jesus is portrayed more like a character from a Harry Potter novel than as a normal child. Jesus uses his power to kill another child who bumps into him. That doesn't sound like the Jesus I know. But, to be fair, Jesus raises the child from the dead when the boy's parents complain. In another story, Jesus fashions some birds out of clay and then brings them to life. In another account, Jesus and his father are working in the carpenter shop. Jesus and Joseph are working. And Joseph cuts a board too short. Well, they're poor carpenters, and so now this is going to be a loss because he's going to have to go provide another board for the customer. But Jesus lengthens the board so that his father doesn't have to come out of pocket any money. And so these are just a few of the the great uh, accounts that we have. you, You read them and you understand why they didn't make it into the Scriptures. But they are fascinating. They do provide us with some interesting insights, and I would highly recommend uh, Dr. Ehrman's book. But now what about the texts that did make it into that made it into the New Testament? Are they complete? The books that we have in the New Testament, are there any issues with them? You know, the earliest gospel that we have is is commonly accepted to be the gospel of Mark. Of the four, Mark has generated the most controversy, especially in regards to the way it ends. In fact, if you've got your Bible, you can open up to the end of Mark, chapter 16. And after verse 8, there's probably going to be a line there, and there's going to be a footnote saying that most manuscripts end here. The earliest manuscripts of of Mark's gospel end at chapter 16, verse 8. And the verse says this, The women fled from the tomb, trembling and bewildered, 
saying nothing to anyone because they were too frightened to talk. Well, that's not a great ending to a gospel, especially one in which Jesus has just risen from the dead. Was this the original ending of Mark's story? This is something that scholars have debated and continue to debate. Now, helpful scribes have added two endings to Mark, one of which adds another 12 verses to the gospel. In my book, Miracles in Mark, I make the case that Mark actually intended to finish his gospel at verse 8. His entire story has been one of the disciples and others struggling to understand who Jesus actually was. And even here at Jesus' resurrection, the women were scared and did not fully understand what was happening. Mark seems to end his story like he does to allow the reader to decide what to do with what they have just read. The letters that the Apostle Paul wrote bring up the question of gaps in the Scriptures. The Corinthian correspondence, for example, refers to other letters that were not preserved. I mean, think about it. Paul wrote letters to various churches throughout the Roman Empire, and these letters were very carefully preserved by the churches. But when we read, especially here in in Corinthians, um, he alludes to other letters that don't appear to have been preserved. In 1 Corinthians 7, verse 1, Paul refers to a letter that the Corinthian Christians wrote to him. He says this, Now regarding the questions you ask me in your letter. Wow, how cool would that be to have a letter written to Paul from one of his churches? In 2 Corinthians chapter 2, Paul refers to another letter that he wrote to the church in Corinth to bring some correction. He's saying in essence in, in, in this passage that he's sorry that he had to be so heavy-handed in that letter, and he's sorry to have caused such sorrow. Now, this is obviously a letter that was not preserved, because when you read 1 Corinthians, it doesn't fit the description that Paul has just given. 1 Corinthians is not heavy-handed and would not have caused sorrow. 1 Corinthians is a great letter of teaching and answering questions from the letter that they had sent to Paul. Another letter of Paul's that doesn't seem to have been preserved was a letter that he refers to as um, to the church at Laodicea. And this was mentioned in Colossians chapter 4, verse 16. Some scholars have thought that this might possibly be referring to Paul's letter to the Ephesians. That's a possibility. Ephesians is one of Paul's least personal letters and appears to be written as a circular circular letter to be shared among different churches. So it is possible that this was the Laodicean letter that Paul mentioned, but we just don't know. It could be another one that just wasn't preserved. And while there are areas of controversy within the field of New Testament studies, this should never muddy the water of the importance of studying the Scriptures. The New Testament canon was formally acknowledged in the mid-300s. But for a hundred years before that, the 27 books of the New Testament were already accepted as Scripture. The early Christians felt like the New Testament was complete. The early Christians believed that these 27 books were the ones that God wanted um, to be in the Christian Bible. And if the early Christians felt that way, there's no good reason for us to feel 
to feel otherwise. Well, now it's your turn. What other questions do you have about the reliability of the New Testament? Go to davidspell.com, leave your question or your comment in the comments section for today's post. While you're there, make sure you sign up to get my free newsletter. I publish three blog posts a week, and subscribing will ensure that you don't miss a single issue. And by subscribing, you'll also receive my members-only newsletter that I send out to subscribe. Well, now it's time for this week's book recommendation. What I'm going to do is I'm going to recommend some of the books that we talked about in the podcast. First of all, Lost Scriptures, books that did not make it into the New Testament by Bart Ehrman. I highly, highly recommend this book. It's a fascinating study. It's a fascinating uh, collection of writings that did not make it into the New Testament. But they are still great to read, very interesting, and well worth taking your time and, and checking it out. I'm also going to include a link to Elaine Pagel's the Gospel of Thomas, the, the Beyond Belief, uh, the Gospel of Thomas. Um, I encourage you to read the Gospel of Thomas. Don't take my word for it. It's a short read. It'll only take you about 15 or 20 minutes to read it. But sit down and read it for yourself if you've ever had any questions about the Gospel of Thomas and ask, should it be in the New Testament? And then, of course, my book, Miracles in Mark, if you want to read about the ending of Mark's gospel and, and, and what I have to say about that in a little more detail. So check these books out, and um, I think you'll enjoy them. Now, as we close today, can I ask you for a favor? Would you take just a moment and go to iTunes and give Leading and Learning a review? Good reviews help us get higher in the ratings so we can get our content to more awesome people just like you. So until next time, this is David Spell encouraging you to pursue your passion.